0: Hi, sorry, that was my dad bringing me bread. Good old dad, always bringing you bread. <laughs> Hi and hello watch fans, and welcome to another episode of The Real Time Show, with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts. We've got Giles Ellis from Schofield Watch Company in the building again today to discuss exactly how all of the wonderful accessories he pours his time and passions into to create are actually the perfect ambassadors for the watchers that comprise the Schofield Watch Company catalogue. Hi, Giles. Thanks for coming back and joining us again so soon. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for having me back. It's my pleasure. The response to the previous show was absolutely off the charts. We got emails, we got messages on Instagram, got loads of people sliding into my DMs, but for you, not for me, as usual. And everybody's keen to know what it is that you do that got me so excited, other than the watchers themselves. So... What we're going to do, i fired up your website and I have it in front of me. I have the accessories page right here. Now, I want to go through what you're selling that isn't watches, pretty much blow for blow, and hear the story behind it. The first thing on the list, is that okay with you, Charles? Are you okay with me doing this? Absolutely, mate. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. So the first thing on the list, and uh, I haven't bought one of these yet, and I promised you that I would, but I was waiting until I decorated my living room because I wasn't sure if I was going to go um, pink, green, or a combination of the two of them. What we have here is the Schofield Watch Company small wall clock, otherwise known as the SWC SWC. It is a beautiful thing to have in hand. So it's 16 centimeters across, which isn't massive for a wall clock. It is massive for a watch, of course. So it sits somewhere between the two. It has this wonderful uh, tactility to it. It's very heavy, it's machined out of big lumps of aluminium. So even though aluminium is typically a pretty lightweight metal, when you've got it in these kind of diameters, it's not so lightweight at all. It is a wonderfully crafted object. Giles, tell us about the small wall clock. What's the thinking behind it? What did you want to do? And what are the many ways in which it can be displayed on either a shelf or a wall or a bracket? Right. Good question. Thank you, Rob. And I actually have some exciting news regarding uh,
1: the small wall clock. Um, let me just begin by saying that everything on the website and everything that I have made and everything that I make is all done for me. I'm an incredibly selfish designer. I just happen to be fortunate enough that there are some other people out there that like the stuff I make, and that's what perpetuates this whole thing right and the small wall clock small wall clock is no exception. It was built because why are all wall clocks 30 centimeters in diameter right nearly all the way you google nice wall clock cool wall clock minimal wall clock metal wall clock and there are a few mid-century ones okay there's a nice vitra one there's a couple of others uh, that you might consider but nearly all of them are dinner plate size and it's ridiculous because how far away are you from your wall clock I did a lot of experiments with size and realised that you can pretty much read the small wall clock at 16 centimetres in diameter uh, from across a hangar, right? We had it at a watch affair, a watch show, uh, where the room was enormous and we had a guy hold it at one end and I could read it as clear as day from the other end of this very large room. It does not need to be big. Now, with that, it meant that I could design something that is way... Uh, more appropriate to squirreling in an alcove or uh, an obscure line of sight from your favourite chair, from in your office where you can have all three showing different time zones. Um, And it was that kind of thing. I've always loved rally timers, right? Uh, They look like a nice array. Um, And so I've really expressed, I think, the love for having a kit for having a set of something uh by doing this in three different colors um and built in a way where it has real presence but at the same time is something that i'm very by having something that you're just not going to find on eBay. People aren't going to flip the small wall clock. Uh, It's something that is going to be passed down and is going to be treasured uh, by anybody. Because even if it doesn't take center stage in the kitchen, you will find somewhere for it more discreet. So um, I went at it in my usual way, which is by making it really difficult and expensive to manufacture based on the fact that it's a large lump of aluminium and it's fully machined. So there's no spinning, there's no punching. It's too big for that. Um, And also by concentrating, again, similar to the watches where I have fun on the back, with the opening part, the back. So a cheap wall clock, you'll be familiar. You unhang it and often you hang it by the movement. You'll turn it over and there's the movement and the battery exposed. I didn't want that. I wanted the thing to be sealed. uh, And so I created this uh, bayonet fitting for the case back of the clock. Um, And it's based on a few things. Firstly, I was at my engineer's and he has a little show table of all the wonderful bits he makes. And he does a lot with military components, especially antennas. Uh, He's one of the uh, important uh, contractors for such things. And the way antennas fit onto the radios is with this really cool bayonet fitting. Essentially, if you take a male and female thread parts and remove large sections of them vertically, so you have a stripe of bare metal, three of them, say, going around a circumference, these three stripes running vertically where the uh, threads run horizontally which means then that you could plunge the whole male part right to the bottom of the female part and then turn it and it would screw together at the last point. But all those uh, third threads interlocked, if that makes sense. I hope I've described that in a way that makes sense. Um, It made a lovely sound. It was really cool. And I thought, how can I factor this into the clock? Um, And so we played with that. I couldn't actually do it that way, I described. Uh, But this time we've added a little ball bearing plunger that sits into a groove. Anyway, it makes this super cool sound for the one time every
0: year you have to take it off the wall and open it to change the battery. Can you do the sound? Can you do an impression of the sound? uh, Hold on one sec. Oh, wow. We're going to get a live demonstration on air. It's something like thunk. (laughs) I've actually had one in my hand, and he's right, you know. While he goes and gets the clock, I can confirm he is correct.
1: I'm here. I'm not going to do any pressure, but I can do the real thing. Okay, here we go. Oh. Here we go. Back in. So that's in. There we go. Wow. So that's the wall clock. Now, this is the only one I have in the shop at the moment, which happens to be gold-plated. It's super bling and really cool. But it brings me to the point of the battery. You heard me say battery, right? And that's because it's a Seiko sweep seconds movement. I wanted this clock to be silent. That's the first thing. And I also wanted it to be battery operated because I couldn't think of anything worse for me than having to manually wind a wall clock. Uh, It's just not going to happen. Convenience is what I need. I also use it to set watches in my shop. So when setting the time on watches prior to um, sending them out in the UK, we don't set the time on, uh, on ones going further. But in the UK, we'll set the time and I'll use the wall clock for that. Um, it's a big lump of aluminium and it has a domed crystal like our watches, a glass uh, in clocks, they're called glasses, and it's made of glass. It's not a sapphire. Um, And that gets kind of bonded into the front of it. Um, And the uh, dial is in three different colours, very subtle metallic colours going back to that whole shiftiness I like in uh, uh, the way dials can bring out different colours in different lights. Um, And these are no exception. They're metallic dials. Uh, What's interesting about the dials is they're made by a watch dial maker, which makes them, for me, 10 times more expensive than if they were clock dials. But that's because the resolution is so good. You're a bit of a masochist, are not you? I am. Like I say, it's for me and I can't settle for anything else. That's a curse, right? I can't settle for it being uh, substandard. So uh, I fuss over these things until it's done. And then I realized I've reached the upper limit on how much I can sell the thing for and therefore don't make any money on a clock at all. I mean, literally, and I'm happy to tell you and and your listeners uh, that Schofield makes 80 pounds. If I sell a wall clock and it's £980, that's with VAT in the UK.
0: Good grief. You are honestly, honestly, sometimes you are your own worst enemy. I am. You make these beautiful things. You labour over them for years. (laughs) You suffer. You keep yourself up at night. You put Alice through God knows what, and then you make 80 quid a throw on something that beautiful yeah what
1: are you like if i was doing it again i would not do the clock the same <laughs> yeah, i bet you uh, it's as simple as <laughs> that. um but it's done now and all the parts are in and i build them myself and uh i actually don't like building them it's a right fuss because the tolerances are too tight on the crisp on the glass and so when that gets put in you've got to be careful you don't chip it and things like that uh it's just a pig and um I would not do it the same way, but I felt that I was there. I'd done everything. I could stop. I could stop selling them. But even at 80 quid profit, I know that the people that own them are going to love this thing forever. Uh, And that's the point, really. It's, it's one of those things. that's a a forever product more than watches, perhaps because they get moved around so much more generally. Um, And so for me, it was something that just had to be done. Now, The good news that I have about the clock is that we have finally, it's been a long time, made the bracket for it. Some people wanted it to have a desk stand and I wanted to build a railway clock bracket so you can have it sticking out of a wall. So rather than hanging directly on the wall, you can have it Sticking out. And in fact, you could buy two and back to back them like a small railway clock. So it becomes really architectural. Um, and we have just finished making that item, which is a bolt on item, but uh, renders that clock then really useful and incredibly architectural, like I said, uh, which is very exciting because as soon as you offer it up to the side of an alcove or a wall, it's suddenly something that is really unusual and not seen. Really, anywhere, especially in the home. Do
0: you have a price for the bracket yet? Because I know exactly where I want to put mine now, and I have a corner that's perfect for it.
1: I don't, as of yet, but uh, it will be. It'll be very, very soon. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, for that, yeah, yeah. See, we we made the uh, clock in preparation for that, which is why on the back uh, of the uh, of the clock in the case back, there's a little blanking hole, a hole that's been blanked out with a grub screw. Um, and that's specifically for fitting uh, the
0: bracket too. I see. So it's been in the works for a long time, just like the next item on the list, which is again, something for real collectors and something for um, the future. I would say something permanent. You have taken the newsletters that you have created over, this is 2021, right? Um, every Thursday, precisely, at 8.15, is it, in the evening? Am I close? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. You send out the six pips. If you do not, dear listeners, subscribe to the six pips newsletter yet. Please go to Giles' website, SchofieldWatchCompany.com, and subscribe to the six pips. I've been subscribing for, well, I've been subscribing since you first pipped whenever your first pip was, however many years ago. I even have a folder in my Outlook called Schofield where I save all of the pips so I can go back and look at them because so much effort gets poured into this newsletter it is ridiculous and one of the things Giles decided to do recently was to make them into a book a physical book that you can hold and you can look at and if you're a subscriber you'll know why that's worthwhile if you're not go and subscribe you'll find out soon enough and the second item on the accessories list is the six pips almanac 2021 and it's absolutely stunning. So tell us what inspired this fresh madness.
1: Yeah, that is fresh madness in the respect that, again, if we're talking about uh, from a business point of view, not a, not a great idea. Um, but I had no choice. I had no choice because the Six Pips newsletter wasn't always called the Six Pips, but uh, certainly for the last six or seven years, it's called the Six Pips. It's a newsletter that first started in two thousand and eleven. It used to be sporadic, and then I started to become organised. And I would launch it at eight fifteen. It it would go out uh, on a Thursday uh, evening every week. Once a week, six articles. They're the six pips. For those that don't know, the six pips is the beeps you get before midnight on BBC radio stations' uh, signal for you to set your clock to midnight, uh on the sixth pip, the last pip, and that's been going forever. Um and even in the Science Museum you can see the machine, a large old machine, uh I think it had a, a radium clock in it or something that they would use for sending out this time keeping signal. It's now, of course, a digital thing. Uh, but it has its own culture around it, the six pips. Uh, for example, if there was an error with the pips, if some reason they went wrong it would be called a crash pips. And occasionally I do a crash pips. Uh, It'll be an error or it'll be something deliberate where I cannot get all six pips out, have to do a single pip, which I often call a crash pip. It's a huge effort for me. And uh, as somebody who runs this business, it's the only job I have to do. All the other jobs I can do, as in I could do them today or I could do them tomorrow. But the six pips has to be done on a Thursday. I do all the photography myself, I write it all out, and then I send all the copy for proofreading. My spelling is not great, and the proofreading is still a family affair and has been from the beginning. It is Doug, Alice's father. He's a Methodist minister and was taught proper passing at school, and so has learned to write, whereas most of us have not learned to write, spell, or use grammar properly, sadly. He is old school and he has helped form the voice of Schofield for the last decade uh, based on the consistency of his proofreading uh, and the changes I make to my copy. Uh, He does think I write in a rather unusual way uh, that I have stuck to because that is my voice. It is only the uh, accuracy of the English language that we adhere to so strongly and get that out if i make a mistake then oh my gosh people don't have to pick me up on it i can imagine um i don't i don't yeah they really do but the six pips has been going out now every week i did the photography and all the work to it it takes me nearly all day every day every thursday a job i have and it's always a relief when i have done the pips um and it's all been uploaded to mailchimp who we use and uh and then it is scheduled to go out at 8:15 8:15 probably because back in the day i did some research on when the best time was to launch your business email when to send it out and it's stuck ever since so with all of that effort and all of those assets which i've still got uh all of those images and bits of copy um, it's lost. It's gone. It just goes into inboxes, and then it's it's very it's ephemeral, right? It's it's there for a moment and then gone. And all of that effort and often artistic effort from my part. It's not just uh, a watch and buy this. I try to steer away from that. In fact, the newsletter, the Six Pips newsletter, uh, this email we're talking about, has been lauded as a real highlight. Of people's weeks from an email point of view. And unlike all other business emails, um, I don't campaign for anything. I struggle with selling anything through it. I might say, look, here's something that's rare, but it's never a hard sell. And quite often I'll focus on other beauty, like uh, a picture of the river that runs past the shop here, uh, or a poem um, that I've found, or a picture somebody sent in, or any of these types of things that are away from actually trying to sell product and it reached a point where i wanted to do a book and i wanted to do an almanac of the pips because i wanted to make it real i wanted to make it analog and take it from digital to analog and i love paper and i love nice books i I still buy myself when i when i when i'm in the mood a nice folio society sci-fi of some description Um, and they are such fine bindings. And so the bar was pretty high for this project. So, really, it was a question of finding the right publisher uh, and then getting the collateral together. And it wasn't a question of just regurgitating the best of the pips from uh, 2021. It was how can I take the most per- pertinent? And permanent pips, uh, because pips that weren't necessarily ones that were relevant to the time, but ones where you could pick up the almanac three years hence and say, well, this is still relevant. This is still so Schofield. Some of those watches are still available. You know, not everything in there has been and gone. That was quite hard. And then also to add in the creative flair. So do a bit of graphic design, lay it out in a way that was fresh uh, and typical to me. Takes a long time. Again, making a rod for my back, something that seems uh, we've, we've mentioned many times uh, whilst chatting. Uh, that is that there's a, a bias for red images or images with red in them to go on the left, who left the red port, port starboard, green on the right. Two motifs I use at Schofield quite often. And so you'll see a red teardrop on the left representing blood, sweat and tears uh, and the green on the right. And both of these teardrops come from a poem that I've used many times and love about a werewolf crying. I won't go into it now, but it's super cool. It's in the book. Um, And it's special and it's special to me, which is why I said I have no choice. It's special because I put so much effort into this that it was something I just needed to. To do, I needed to see this thing made real, and I hope it's going to be ongoing. The trouble is, I need to sell a great load of them before the uh, before the project becomes viable. How long can I sustain making these expensive books, and uh, if I don't sell them? So we have, and I can say that twenty twenty two is forthcoming. Uh, I can move quicker on this. Almanac 21 came out late in the year of 22. So Almanac 22, the follow-up, is out any minute now, Rob, which is terrific because it makes them collectible, which is exactly what I wanted for these books. How much are they, Giles? They're £72 currently, and that includes top and tail bands, cloth cover, debossing, uh, a ribbon, pink ribbon, of course. Mm -hmm. They're about two centimetres thick. Uh, They're pretty substantial. Good quality papers, of course, as you'd expect. Uh, Full bespoke job, A4 in size, sent anywhere in the world for that. I'm hoping that the people that order 2022 will also order some of the 21s that I have left uh, to start forming that collection. Because the next book, which I can tell you now, is the designs of Schofield Watch Company. And this, I think, is going to be of particular interest to anybody that likes watches in or outside of the industry, because it's all of my design work for Schofield. And a lot of it is the stuff that you don't see. It's the version one and version two, in fact, up to version 20 quite often. Whereas version 21 may be the bit that you actually see. Oh my goodness. So there's all that development work, uh, all in wireframe and full color, and some of the stuff's made, so some photographs, but it's 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 a lot of graphics, uh, it's a lot of layout, a lot of dials and designs that people haven't seen before. Um, all going in into this book, the designs of Schofield Watch Company. So that's going to be a big deal for me. And again, you can see that I have no choice. It's something that has to be done because My CV could be these books all piled on top of each other. That's my work. That's my creative output of the highest standard. Of course, I've done a decade of things preceding Schofield, but Schofield for me is me. It is not curtailed or altered by anybody else's thinking. It is purely my brain. I am the filter of Schofield Watch Company.
0: That is amazing. And I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful project to have undertaken. And I did not know about the designs of Schofield book on the horizon, and I am thrilled to hear that it's coming. And I know exactly what you mean when you say you had no choice. I remember when I was a kid, people used to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I I would say, oh, I'm a writer. And they'd say, well, what have you written? I go, well, nothing. I'm a child, obviously, but I'm a writer. They mean, oh, you want to be a writer? And I said, no, I don't want to be a writer. I wish I didn't want to be a writer. I wish I wasn't a writer. I wish I was something else. I wish I was something much easier that wouldn't keep me up at night, that wouldn't cause me years of torture and anguish so that I'd have to find myself obsessed with something like watchmaking and pour down thousands of words on a page to try and reconcile my relationship with it. And here you are producing books to a caliber that nobody ever expects these days, reminding us all how wonderful a medium print media can be and making us collect them as well. You're a sneaky devil. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Rob. I-, I wish more people
1: would carry that sentiment. Is it Again, it's a difficult item to sell. We've spoken about this many times. I'm a watchmaker. And as soon as you deviate from your core being a watchmaker, uh, the products get harder to sell. I mean, the pens, which we're going to get to shortly, I believe, are difficult because I'm a watchmaker, but as a designer, it doesn't mean I can't design these things, right? I could design everything. If you wanted for me to design you a car or an aeroplane, I would do it with the same integrity and enthusiasm as I do any of my other items. I just don't have that opportunity, right? So when it comes to things like books and pens and clocks, they can be as good as the watches, but for the consuming public, the ones that subscribe to Scofield. You've got to be really into Schofield to cross the bias of just thinking I'm a watchmaker into being able to buy the accessories as well. Now, that works great for watch straps, Rob. That's easy because they attach to the watch. But when it comes to the books, it is a way more difficult stretch.
0: I think you alluded to why you get away with it a little bit easier than some other brands that might try and emulate your success in that vein. And that's because at the start of the company's journey you had a lot of time to work on the brand and to really define the brand and to not be so ironically maybe product focused but more message focused and you created an environment and an atmosphere and i mean it's a lifestyle in a way but it's also like a different world more than anything when i think of schofield i think of the way that you illustrate coastlines uh the beaches the the lighthouses even the little mushrooms that you have on the on the window of the shop it feels like I'm being transported into a fantasy land, somewhere completely different. And everything within that fantasy land is consistent within itself. The the pens make sense alongside the watches. The straps obviously make sense materially with the whole ethos of the brand. You've got torches, which also are just so well thought out and so beautifully crafted. So while they may not be watches themselves, they certainly have the same spirit and the same character. And of course, it's your spirit and your character that comes through in all of those things. And that's what people are buying. And that's why people love this. And that's why Schofield is a success. Thanks, Rob. I summarized that pretty well. That's the end of that conversation. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on to the pens themselves, right? Because I actually own a Schofield pen and it is in the colors of my favorite football club, Norwich City. And I write with it every day and I adore it. I did have the fountain pen, uh, The fountain, what do you call it? The fountain fitting inside it, I suppose. And now I have... Well, it's not a ballpoint. What is it, Giles? Tell us what the other option is because it's absolutely heavenly to write with. Uh,
1: oh, you've got a fiber tip, I think. Fiber Yeah, tip. there's a choice. Between, yeah, the fiber Ooh. tip. But the fiber tip's interesting because it's sprung. Yeah.
0: So you can't hurt it. You'll notice it kind of plunge in and out if you press it. It freaked me out the first time I used it because you said, oh, try this new upgrade. So, because I was, I, I'm not really much of a fountain pen writer. I love the idea of it, but I, I wasn't writing frequently enough to get the pen really humming along with my hand position. So, when you said I'll oh, try this this other alternative, I thought you'd given me a ballpoint. And when I went to put the pen to paper, this sprung fiber tip not only does it release ink in a beautiful, beautiful flow, it scared the crap out of me. I thought I'd broken it, and I like recoiled from it. I was like, "What is this magic that you've given me?" And it is magic. Oh my god! It is magic. I've never written yeah. with a better yeah. pen. I don't write with any other pen now. I'm actually considering uh, getting a, a couple more of your pens so I can put different color fiber tip. Cartridges in there. I think you can get a blue, and I did read somewhere that for a little while at least they did like a teal ink, but I I can't find one for sale anymore. But oh, wow, that is good stuff, Giles. Nice work. So the P two,
1: the pen uh, that you see it online, is a massive effort, right? It's a it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking, and that's because it's really difficult to make pens well for a couple of reasons. We made a pen back, oh, it must be 2012, 2013, somewhere around. And Anoto made it. So, famously, Enoto, British company, made Churchill's favorite pen. Uh, Anoto, as it was at the time, made my pen, and it was very classical in styling, completely my design, had an oversized cap, big silver bands, a big heavy pen clip with a little uh, obsidian. Cabochon at the top of the clip. It was sartorial in design. The clip looked like a necktie, but also resembled the hand of one of our watches at the time, the Black man And it was an expensive set, it came in a zebrano box, uh that you'll never use. And we mixed our own ink as well. So we called this ink fish guts. And it came with a bottle of ink, and it was about 750 pounds per pen. And we made 30 odd pets. And then Anoto had all sorts of problems and uh you know, sales slow down. And when sales slow down, you can keep flogging it or you move on to something new. So I stopped making the pen with a view to designing a new pen. And I tried and I could not get there. I have many pens of which the designs I no doubt uh, will be included into uh, the Schofield design book that we've just spoken about. But I was not happy with them because the constraints around pen design are super tight right it's a stick you write with and if you move too far away from that it's going to look ridiculous it, you could make it giant sized right and nobody would use it you could make it out of sponge and again useless whatever these tight constraints are make it very difficult to make something that's very unusual uh because that unusual like i've mentioned before becomes wacky and you don't want wacky wacky's silly So I'd never got there. I also knew the second time around, the P2, Pen 2, was going to be made by me. I'm not going to use another pen company. I can do it all myself. I don't need anybody else. I'll do it my way, myself. So that was a further constraint. Um, Materials-wise, there is plenty to choose from, right? There are so many websites where you can just go and buy a pen blank, mainly used for the DIYers. uh, And some of those materials are super cool. And they're quite attractive, and you don't know where to start and where to finish with all of those choices. So I kind of gave up on the idea. And I love Stanley Kubrick and went to the Stanley Kubrick exhibition in London. This has nothing to do with the pen, just a separate thing. 2001 is a a film I absolutely adore. And I had gone around the whole of the exhibition Keen to get to Hal, of course, the malevolent robot in the film, um, AI, and saw all the little bits and pieces, um, the props in the film. Walked past the cutlery. I have the cutlery at home and have had for many years. It's my best cutlery. It's the same cutlery. You can still buy it uh, that was used in the film. And I got to the Parker pen that was used in the film. And, oh, my gosh, what an absolute piece of rubbish. They tried to make it look sci-fi. It had this flattened area on the uh, on the barrel with these red, white, and blue dots from memory on it, like buttons, as if they were going to do anything on the pen. You know, I'm not a fan of steampunk because that's trickery. We spoke about trickery before, Rob. Uh, I don't like it, and so something that's meant to do something but doesn't do something to me is utterly pointless, uh, and I don't like that as a design language. So I didn't like the Parker pen. But, and this is a really pretentious story, right? But it is true. I thought to myself, if Kubrick asked me to design the pen for the film as a prop, what would it look like? And I knew instantly what it had to look like. Okay. So it's not a homage to the film. It's not like me saying this is a 2001 Space Odyssey pen because I love the film. It's not about that at all. It's about how would the pen have actually fitted into the film. I knew what it was going to look like. And that evening, I designed the pen. I made a few errors of scaling because some of the elements were too subtle in the drawing. And when they were prototyped, they were diminished. They didn't look good. So we had to exaggerate those out to make them more obvious. And they're the plateaus, the flat bits on the, on the barrel and the fin that you see on the cap. So the pointy top uh, is a very old British fountain pen. Design feature and was also on our first fountain pen. So I retained that. But also, that's the tippy end of the whole pen being a spaceship. It gives the whole pen forward momentum. That's an important part of the design, like a spaceship. It had to look like it was going somewhere. And to do that, that's why we have these plateaus and the fin. But when you rotate the pen 90 degrees, those plateaus are face on and therefore it looks just like a cylinder. So, therefore, to give the affordance of forward motion, I've added the flutes and they give it that forward motion when the pen is rotated into that plane of view. This time we don't have an oversized cap, so it doesn't post, which is great for me because I don't post the cap. I can't think of anything worse. It throws off the balance of the pen. It's a funny old habit. It works for the space pen, uh, but beyond that, not at all. Okay, it's, again, it's an anachronism, it's something you don't use. The clip. I know one guy that won't buy my pen because it doesn't have a clip, and he actually clips his pen to his shirt. I know very few people that actually do that. However, a fin, like on mine, is useful as a roll stop in case your desk or surface isn't flat. That's what a roll stop is. And again, that goes to the whole sailor thing again. We've got a little nod of that, of travel. Even on a spaceship, you need a roll stop to stop it rolling around maybe when it's not in space or whatever. Um, so that was the design of the pen. And now we've got it engraved down the side, like you have on modern spaceships. And we've got Schofield P2 down the side. And then it was a question of materials. The colours of the film are white, red and black and aluminium color Okay. There are four principal colours. And so we made them uh, out of different materials. We've got aluminium for the silver that we nickel plate, the same as the clock and the torches. So a, finish i love it's an electroless nickel plating unusual you don't see it very often but it's a lovely uh, warmth to nickel uh white uh, which is an unusual finish for a pen it's an acrylic um but it's a bead blast to look like the bone at the beginning of the film okay so it has that kind of nod uh to the film but could still be used to prop, very clean very clinical but being a white matte pen gets very grubby over time If you like patination that we touched on in the previous podcast, uh, then that's the one for you. Then there's a red polished one uh, that we have discontinued because I polish the pens and I hate doing it. It's really hard polishing plastics, not something anybody wants to do. Okay, really, really difficult job. You need different mops, different compound, and it's just a pig of a job. So I'm not doing that one anymore. And then the black one. But the black one was a chance to have some fun because we commissioned the material especially for the black and it's called oh my god it's full of stars which is a famous scene from film where he's flying into the monolith and he says oh my god it's full of stars so being black it had to have stars in it so we added diamond dust and very kind of subtle nebula type uh kind of shading elements into that acrylic for the black one so there are the pens Um, we have done a couple of things that make this special Uh, the first is the cap the fin in the cap always lines up perpendicular to the plateau on the barrel of the pen so it doesn't just line up where it goes randomly it always stops at 90 degrees. This is very difficult. This is called a timed thread. And we use an Acme pipe thread for this, which is a square sectional thread, uh, which you would use on plastics typically. That's what we use. I noticed that. Thank you. That's an important detail, that that bit. Um, and a nightmare from a QC point of view, because if it doesn't line up perfectly, if it's slightly out, then it's like, well, what do we do now?
0: No, I, I mean, it's so precise. It's unbelievable. I, I was, I noticed when I was playing with my pen like a spaceship, you know, when you said, oh, the, the, the conical tip on the cap is, you know, giving that impression of forward motion. So I picked up my pen and I pretended that it was flying towards my face. And I was like, oh, God, it lines up perfectly with that. Oh, my goodness, it all lines. Oh, my goodness, it all lines up a timed thread what a what a yeah. wonderful job that is also when you look at it from the back it looks a bit like a uh, turbo thruster with the little uh, little medallion in there yeah that's right that's the only nod to
1: hal uh was that i didn't want it to be red and black that badge it would have been too obvious and also as a prop in the film you wouldn't you wouldn't do that that language wouldn't exist um but by making it just a, con- a dot with a concentric circle to the proportions of hal means it's a nod to hal but now more resembles a booster. And so that's the booster end of the pen. Um, And the version one of the pen had an enamel badge in the end, but now we do this gold-plated brass badge that's much deeper um, and therefore favours the hardware when you uncap it and you've got the grip section inside. So the whole of the pen can't be turned. It has to be machined because of the way that fin sits out. It's integral to the cap, uh, which makes it expensive to make because it's not turned, it's machined. And then when you take the cap off, that grip section is my grip section. I designed this grip section with all of those concentric uh, rings. Okay, and this is the difference between ribs and flutes. Flutes we have in the cap, in the sorry, in the barrel of the pen, and they run longitudinally or parallel to the length, and ribs go around and around as if they were turned. And so I've really played with that because the previous nib section, the bit you hold, the grip, uh, was smooth, and I wanted a grippier version. So it's now 100% schofield all the way through apart from the fillers and the nib itself so you know unless you're mont blanc you make your own nibs nearly everybody else buys their nibs from one of two places bock or joe and we use bock which are german nibs and they're interchangeable so if you don't like the schofield nib you can buy your own nib and fit it also the rollerball fiber tip fountain pen components are all interchangeable so you can have the same pen but all of those different fittings yeah, you need to buy the, the the end piece for the rollerball and the fibre tip, um, but you can swap that out with a fountain pen nib. Do you have a favourite? I was a fountain pen guy, and this was designed as a fountain pen. Fountain pens changed my writing. They gave me a real pleasure in taking care over my writing. Fountain pens all the way. And I had a silly collection of of fountain pens uh, of which some of them I barely used all my nibs were ground by John Soroka one of the last nib technicians in the northern hemisphere and he ground all of our nibs for the P1 uh, and, and my own collection of nibs and then I designed the Schofield P2 and I was like I don't want any of those pens anymore because I've now got my perfect pen the pen for me designed by me and nothing comes close to it so I sold all of my pens on eBay I've got a couple left uh, a conway stewart a dunhill i think uh, a couple of others um that i absolutely love but the others went and now i just have uh the one i call my own actually is an
0: aluminium p2 it's a prototype but it looks essentially the same as all the other uh-huh, p2. Uh-huh. so you went for the aluminium one okay so i noticed there's two price tiers here there's a the top price tier is 458 pounds and the aluminium the oh my god it's full of stars which i think is the one i want to get next and the uh p2 stargate unicorn they're all on that price of the 458 and then we've got the p2 white and the p2 polished red on 426 tell me this did you confide in your master nib tickler or whatever his job title was which was amazing that you were selling all of your pens did it break his heart
1: no, no, it did not break his heart. I should probably get him a pen, actually. He's a great collector. Yeah. Uh, he's an amazing man. John Soroka, if your fountain pen needs fixing, find John Soroka. Uh, say that Giles from Schofield sent you, um, and that will be worthy payback, I think, for the help that he's given me over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs one. He needs to be one. He's
0: an ambassador.
1: Yeah, he's really cool. And um, he makes fountain pens right properly if they're being stubborn. Um, so, a couple of other things on the p two one it doesn 't come in that big pretentious sobrano box anymore; it comes in a very narrow fitting carbon fiber tube so that you actually get to carry it around with you, stoppers the tube so you don 't damage your pen, but the tube is lightweight and discreet enough that it doesn't kind of fill up your bag um That was important to me because I wanted it to be useful, not superfluous. Um, so that was one thing. And we still make Fish Guts ink, though now it has taken a more sci-fi slant and is full with silver particles so that when you write with it, it uh, it kind of reflects back at you uh, in silver, even though it's a teal base colour. Uh, and these are sparkly inks made by Diamine in uh, Birmingham, old British ink maker. But we uh, just rebadge it and relabel it now. I don't actually get my hands dirty anymore with the ink. Especially in a shop full of pink carpet, uh, it's too risky. And so uh, we just have them send us bottles and we rebadge them. Uh, But that is available for the fountain pens as well.
0: That's amazing. I need to get some of that actually, because teal is like my favorite color, I guess. And the silver particles sound absolutely amazing. What a wonderful effect. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to end up going down the pen rabbit hole at some point. I've thus far managed to stay just on the lip of it. And the P2 is my. Go to pen and the fiber tip is perfect for me because it's just uh, grab and go. You don't have to think about it. it. The cartridges last forever, and it's such a beautiful writing action. I can't recommend it enough. And something else I can't recommend enough because I actually bought one of these for myself is the UV one torch, which is a very nicely machined little UV torch, as the title suggests, that I carry around with me to watch fairs to show people the luminosity or or fluorescence in some cases of the dials that I'm wearing. Tell us about this one, Giles. Where did this one come from? Um,
1: This one was uh, an accessory that I had in the shop. It's a useful tool from a watchmaking point of view for kind of highlighting dust and debris under the crystal of watches, uh, looking at the integrity of hands, and also, and most obviously, for checking luminescent compounds uh, on dials and hands. Um, So it's a necessary tool. Um, However, I felt that most of the UV torches, all of the UV torches, are really very, very poor uh, from a manufacturing point of view. They're rudimentary and cheap to manufacture. They all come from China. Um, They're utterly boring. And my good friend Dom at Vertex Watches uh, sent me a Vertex UV torch, and it was exactly as I described. Uh, And typical one-upment. Chip, i thought i'm gonna make my own uv torch here and make it really fun and cool i love torches by the way and have made torches before for schofield uh have a collection of torches and uh, still kind of get excited about torches um those that have my first torch uh, which is a, a daylight a proper torch right with a, a visible light um they love it and it was raw aluminium so it kind of gets polished and takes on its own texture over time and uh, is a kind of a special thing we no longer make that. So with this one, the UV one was a really way of me saying, oh, look, there isn't a good one of these in the universe. I'll make one that is the very best UV torch ever made uh, ever. But I shall also make it specific to watches uh, for checking the luminescence in watches. And I calculated that I needed a five centimeter glowing uh, spot with little to no periphery, as in there's no uh, kind of penumbra for want of a better way of saying it a halo uh, it was a spot at five centimeters at the height that anybody would naturally hold a torch above a watch especially when it's strapped to a wrist which is for example about 25 centimeters to 20 centimeters above the watch i had these basic constraints and the next part was actually designing the optics to make this thing work i know i'm maybe your readers are thinking this guy is just full of nonsense right but this is true this is this is what happens so i get the lead engine the uv lead engine which uses a cree uv lead which are best in field and i wanted it to have a rechargeable battery so uh that that was a thing um is that available can i get a lead engine that runs off a uh the right amps for a rechargeable battery yes that can be done got that And the switch at the end, the push button and the push button and the lead engine came together in a cheap Chinese torch that I bought direct from China through one of those websites like DX gate. And then I would take that torch apart and literally recycle the aluminium body because it was ugly as anything. But that switch component would have been too expensive for me to make on my own from fresh. And so we reskin it, but I added the polycarbonate spherical lens. Okay, got a drawer full of spherical lenses and other lenses, um, and thought, okay, so we build the torch essentially, and then we start to calculate how close the spherical lead go uh, lens goes to the lead engine to give me that five centimeter dot. Uh, also, it's got to look like a spaceship. Um, uh, and it's got to carry the flutes like the pen and be in the same nickel finish as all the other products. So it just kind of works stylistically. And oh, it's such a cool little thing. I absolutely love it. It does all of those things. I realized very quickly and very easily uh, and thankfully that the spherical lens has to go as close as possible to the LED. It's aluminium because it gets hot. And the flutes also help increase the surface area to help dissipate that heat like a heat sink. Um, and it does exactly that. It shines a, 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 a spot of five centimeters, which covers the dial of nearly all watches and a little bit over as well, um, uh, without any halo. Uh, so it's just the spot and with a, a button at the end, which makes it easy to activate with your finger uh, as you are holding the watch, at the torch, sorry, in the right position over a watch. So there we have it. That's the UV1, like the P2, Uh, the same kind of style and engraving and finishing and proportions. But now we have this chunky little spaceship type affair with an orange and sometimes a red push button at the end, depending on what I can get hold of. Annoyingly, Rob, right? When you reorder the exact same torch from China, it comes, but all the threads will be different, right? There'll be a slightly different diameter and a slightly different pitch. And you're like, that's really annoying. So I might buy twenty-five at a go, for example, um, and then I have to re-machine the casework to fit the push bumps. Another example, Rod, um, Rob, of me making no money on an item, uh, can't sell it for enough money. You'd think a hundred and twenty odd quid or one hundred and thirty pounds, I think it is, uh, for the UV one is a lot of money for a torch. It is, but I literally make four quid a torch because I've bought a torch. And the parts and the battery, and then I've had to reskin it. And when with that reskinning, we had to then do the assembly, the plating, the finishing, the boxing, and everything else. And then you end up with this gorgeous thing. But uh, hey, look, it's a quirky thing. It's not. It's not something I'm selling uh, every day. Um, but when the
0: right people, we all sell a few before a big watch show. Um, like you said, for, for watch shows, they're ideal. They're amazing. They're wonderful little objects to have and they're beautifully weighted. I like to carry mine around. I mean, I have the torch and I have the pen and obviously I have the watch. So like my little Scofield trio come with me frequently on my travels and I love the torch. It's been rolled out at many a fair. People have always commented on it and said, where did you get that? Actually brings a level of artistry to something that most people would just regard as like an essential tool for somebody at a watch fair frequently. But that's it. Although you make £4 on a torch that retails for one hundred and sixty-eight pounds, Charles.
1: Oh, sorry. There you go. That's me. maybe I make a bit more on it. I can't
0: remember. Let's say you make fourteen quid or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. this is yeah. not the point, yeah. is it? It's not the point. The point is that you are carrying through the ethos of Schofield to different products that exist on the periphery of watchmaking and often appeal to watchmaking fans. And through these products, you are embellishing the brand of Schofield and taking that story a little bit further. So, I think, as I said at the top of the show or at some conversation that we've had in the past, these accessories are, strangely enough, ambassadors for the watchers themselves because they just remind people the level of care and attention and detail and thought and obsession and, I think, above all else, passion that goes into the watch's creation. Let's talk about one, no, two more very quickly on the TL1 because I've seen this many times on the website and i'll be damned if i know how it works or what the hell it is but tell us more about it i love it
1: so uh, the tl1 is something that i made for our boys club our boys club being the uh, club exclusively for schofield watch owners there is a private page on the website that you are only given the password to if You own a Schofield watch. Now, I know that's really exclusive, but it's about being part of something special, Schofield. We've touched on this many times. Once you're in, you're in. You're struck with the notion uh, on the first time that you've come across some treasure uh, and you don't know whether to shout how excited you are about it or, in fact, keep it all to yourself. Uh, We find most people keep it all to themselves. Very rarely do we sell Schofield watches to friends of Schofield owners. And that's because Schofield owners want to keep the Schofield thing to themselves, uh, to themselves. And I liken this to somebody I was talking to recently. It was a, a lady who worked in uh, PR. And I said, you wouldn't like to be sitting here with somebody wearing the same dress as you. And of course, she agreed. And that's the same thing with the watch. You don't want to have that because it helps identify who you are and who your taste is. So the boys' club is exclusively for those guys, where and girls, and boys and bells, where I put stuff that's a little bit off the wall initially, uh, or something that is very unusual, or something that is maybe relevant to just owning a watch, like a particular set of straps, for example. And the TL one is no different. The TL one is a tritium light source. Okay, it's a again a polycarbonate uh, unit. That is coated in phosphorus like a fluorescent light, but it is gassed with tritium, which is radioactive and has lots of constraints around it um, and is used in the watch industry. Uh, Ball watches, for example, use tritium gas light sources, these tiny little vials that, again, are phosphorus coated. And then the tritium releasing electrons excites the phosphorus. And that's why they glow and they do not need charging, meaning they just glow all the time. Tritium has a, a, a half-life uh, of about 11 years. Um, and so you'll expect it to see half as bright in 11 years and half as bright in another 11 years and so on. Um, so it does remain uh, radioactive for a long time. These units come from RC Tritech that are known for making tritium gas vials for the watch industry. However, this is the largest amount of tritium that you're allowed in a single light source legally. And they were discontinuing it. And interestingly, they didn't tell me why they were discontinuing it. However, they offered these units to me. I said, they're really cool uh, because there's a picture of Prince Harry in his army gear wearing one of these around his neck. Because at night, you can read a map with these. Once your eyes have uh, adjusted to night vision, you can read a map with the amount of light that they put off. Um, I thought these were really cool. I reskin them in the same way that we did the UV one. So they come in this large rubber boot essentially. And I cut that away, take out the little polycarbonate nubbin inside, and refit that into a unit. It's a total whimsy, it is a complete waste of money, um, but it's fun and it's something quite cool about it. So it's like a little dingle dangle you can hang it off your rucksack uh, and it's a glow in the dark thing if you're in a long chain of walkers going up the mountains then of course you can uh, be seen uh with this glow in the dark uh, system that won't burn out your night vision um so i think it's really cool we actually sold most of them and i have been steadily reducing the price fairly every year because of course uh some of the uh, radioactive decay has uh Has gone underway and they're not as bright as they were the year before. So I feel it's only fair to kind of reduce the cost of those. So they have come down in cost quite a bit. Not something that's easy to sell, uh, like many of my accessories, uh, but super fun and a total whimsy. And as a designer, as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, there's a lot of stuff here that I make just for me. And that's it exactly. Some of them are whimsical. And why not? It's
0: because I'm in the mood and I fancy uh, designing something a little bit different that day. And why not? I definitely need to get one of those for my backpack because I was really taken by the idea of having a little glow bug bouncing around on my backpack while I was in a big train of walkers going up a hill. That's it. Last accessory on the list. The very catchily named, I remember when you released this watch, pen, box, um, treasure chest of wonders, whatever you want to call it. And I had a bit of fun in the article I was writing about it. Sideways mocking the name because it is an absolute mouthful w-a-p-h-t-t-t-b but because the a is the second letter in the acronym is it an acronym it doesn't spell a word the yeah whatever i'm tempted to try and pronounce it so i always call it the the waft (laughs)
1: yeah it's one of those things where i say something in the six pips as flippant (laughs) and then it sticks (laughs) It just stuck. Right. And so before the thing was made, it was the watch and pen holding box, watch and pen holding treasure box. And then it became the treasure trunk trove box because I was being verbose. Right. Um, But it stuck. And uh, that's what it is. It's a watch and pen holding treasure trove trunk box because. I needed a box for going to shows because I hate hiring the cabinets. Okay. They cost a lot of money. You don't know how good they're going to be. They've got wobbly, funny lights in that don't always work. Uh, You're restricted on size. And I thought, this is madness. If I'm going to do watch shows, I might as well have my own watch box. I can carry the watches up to the show in the box. I can pull the box out of my Pelly case, put it down, and I've got more than one thing to show. I've got the watches but wrapped in a in a in a more of a Schofield vibe not dissimilar to the shop here it's a way of articulating more of the brand ideals Um, also it was right at the beginning of me having the watch shop and I needed something to show the watches off in the shop so I doubled up on the design of that I found a picture of an old uh Victorian in fact uh hair brush it was a mahogany box with individual panes windows that went into separate cubby holes that you'd keep your hair paraphernalia in. I thought that was super cool that box, uh, and I uh, filched essentially the design, modified it hugely, uh, scaled it. It's now quite a big box. This one it's seventy uh, odd centimeters wide from memory, um, and it's also tapering, so it's wedge shaped, uh, which is difficult to make. Um, And each of those glass panes reveals a cubby essentially. And in that cubby hole is either a solid cedar block for holding two watches or three pens and they are interchangeable. So I can have them in my shop here, all full of pens and all full of watches. And they look magnificent. Trouble is I had a minimum order for these boxes. And so they ended up being for sale. So I had to make them attractive enough that potentially. I can pay for the project by selling them. And sometimes that's how things go. I need them in the shop, but can't afford to make three, because that's how many I have in the shop. Um, I needed to make, I think it was 30. Um, and it meant that then I have to tweak the design to make it more attractive for others uh, so that they might put their Schofield watches and pens inside. So a lot of effort went on to the steel Uh, plaque that goes on the fifth window furthest on the right Um, and that plaque is a design taken from our window design but reworked for this steel and it's a very large uh, piece of engraving uh, on a thick steel plate extremely expensive to do because it takes ages on the laser lasers don't particularly like stainless steel it's too hard and it takes many passes of the machine to get a scratch in color let alone oxidize it to a different color um, we use the same wood we use for our watch boxes, which is uh, ash, and it's finished with Osmo, It's an uh, which makes the pores darker, highlighting the grey. We engraved the box at the back. We added holes to the bottom of the box underneath the wooden insert so that you could screw it down to a surface and a lock on the front. So effectively, it becomes like a mini safe a bit like a a humidor, a cigar humidor. Uh, You can see inside, but it's secure. So it's just going to stop sticky fingers uh, getting on those uh, watches and pens, uh, but you can still see them. And that's what I needed for the shop, ideally, and for shows. Um, And it worked really well. We literally have a couple left. They're expensive because they're expensive. And that's the way we price products. I price from the bottom up. Price is reflected on the fact of how much this thing costs to make. Plus, in the case of a clock, as we've already mentioned, 80 quid. So, again, I don't make money on these items. I love selling them because it's great, even though posting uh, WAPH TTTB is a nightmare. Can you even post them? Yeah, I post them all around the world. Good grief. We had a guy straight at the beginning. Had an enormous, um, he had an enormous Patek Philippe and Romain Jerome collection. Now, there's a story for another day because that has led me to my, uh, my Grail watch. I don't have Grail watches like most watch consumers because, of course, I make my own Grail watches and therefore don't need to be buying others. But I always wanted the Space Invaders watch, which I do have now by Remain Jerome. Always love that. Um, anyway, this guy was a Remain Jerome collector. He thought he was the only lover of Remain Jerome in the world. And I told him he was wrong. Uh, we got chatting. Anyway, he ordered seven. Get out of town. He ordered seven. 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 Seven, uh, For his Patek Philippe and Romain Jerome collection. I mean, just imagine that collection. These boxes hold 10 watches.
0: Good grief. Uh,
1: He wanted all watch inserts, so they're all full of watches. Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, quite an impressive collection. Um, So it's a really cool product. Like I say, we've got a couple left and uh, something that is inherently useful to me because I use it every day in the shop.
0: Well, what a great place to stop. Gobsmacking moment that someone has, I guess, 70 Patek Philippe slash Romain Jerome watches in the single collection, all stored now in WAPHTTTB boxes made by Giles, the Schofield Watch Company. Amazing stuff. The passion shines through in everything that you do, every product that you've created, every little wonder that you've brought into our lives. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it and your time as always. If listeners, you have any questions that you would like me to post to Giles the next time we speak together, which I'm sure we will do at some point in the near future, please contact me at rob at therealtime.show or send an email to alan at Show, or find us both on Instagram at robnuds, that's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or at a l o n b e n j o s e p h hit us up with your questions you can post them on our posts you can contact us in our dms or you can send us an email if you feel more comfortable that way until next time giles it's been a pleasure thanks again mate keep doing the good work thank you rob anytime